Welcome to Ultra Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. As our last episode of 2020, we have a special surprise for you. Alteryx just hosted our Alter.next event, and during the Analytics Power Hour, Alteryx Senior Director of Product Marketing, Nick Jewell, hosted a conversation with the legendary Billy Bean, Executive Vice President of the Oakland A's. Now, if you're a data person, you've probably heard of Billy, as he revolutionized sports by leveraging data process and the people that power it. The conversation between Nick and Billy was so interesting, we decided to open it up to you, our listeners of Alter Everything. Keep in mind, it's only going to be available here until January 21st, 2021, so be sure to enjoy it while it's available. Let's jump into it. I'm joined today by a very special guest, one of my personal heroes, when we talk about the whole spectrum of data, process, and people. He's literally changed the game when it comes to the business and culture of analytics in the major leagues, and not too shabby, managed to get himself portrayed on the big screen by none other than Brad Pitt. Of course, I'm talking about Billy Bean, executive vice president of baseball operations and part owner of the Oakland Athletics. Billy, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for the introduction, Nick, and uh, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. So it's been nearly two decades since the publication of Moneyball, that groundbreaking book from Michael Lewis that covered the stories behind the Oakland A's 2002 season. But I think the impact, both from your efforts on and off the field during that phenomenal year, and the longer term impact, the repercussions, is in business circles where you led the way in using data as a true asset, you know, building analytic processes to push for that competitive advantage, and then infusing this culture all across your front office. I'd love to ask you some questions today that really dive into the data, the process, and the people aspects of your career, and then maybe we can start off by talking about the data, first of all. So for our global audience today, can you bring us up to speed with the core components of what we mean when we say Moneyball? You know, it seems like the def- everyone has their own definition. Uh, just a little side note, when Michael Lewis wrote the book and he told us that was going to be the name of the book, I told him that that's the stupidest name I've ever heard in my life and that there's no way it was going to catch on. So, so the idea that we, here we are almost, as you mentioned, Nick, 20 years later, talking about the term uh, and it's become, uh, again, it's, it's, it's sort of spanned beyond baseball and sports. And for us, you know, what the original definition was the fact of the matter is that we are a very small business amongst a, a group of very large businesses in baseball, 30 baseball teams. We are the smallest revenue team in the game. And uh, for us, it was really about maximizing and being efficient with the resources we had. And for us, the best way to do that was the use of data and objective decision-making. Of just about all the major world sports, Major League Baseball is probably the one you associate with numbers, with data more than any other. We're 150 years into MLB at this point. We've got data available across so many categories, but it doesn't mean that we're standing still. There's innovation happening all the time. I mean, in terms of baseball data and innovation, what are the kind of stats that you pay close attention to? Are, are they the same kind of numbers that casual fans of the game would be familiar with? Or do they become more esoteric the higher up you get in organizations? Well, you almost, I, you know, you mentioned the book Moneyball, which came out, it uh, was released in 2003. And if, if I page through it now, I feel like I'm, uh, 
um, it's an episode of the Flintstones. It almost seems prehistoric, some of the stuff that went on there, mainly because technology has allowed us to do so much uh, in, the, in the use of data, in the capture of data and information. And uh, when we first started, we were just exploiting a skill which was measured by on base, which is a stat called on base percentage, which for us had the strongest correlation of winning baseball games. But yet, it was the eighth highest paid skill set uh, in the industry, which allowed us to uh, actually acquire it as a low paying team. Uh, that, that opportunity and that uh, advantage quickly evaporated because baseball became, it was very easy. Um, but what has happened over the years, particularly with stadiums, and not just happened in baseball, it's happening with uh, soccer stadiums around the world, NFL, NBA, is that, you, I mean, you, you fast forward to now, you've got high-speed cameras that are picking up all the actions in three, three different dimensions uh, on a basketball court. Uh, you've got uh, tracking technology on soccer players and in the NFL players. And all this stuff allows you to sort of just collect and collect information to hopefully, ultimately, from a sports standpoint, what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to use this information to predict future performance. And, uh, and from baseball, you mentioned like things now that we're doing, uh, like for instance, on a hitter, because all the stadiums are hardwired, we have what they call, Major League Baseball has what they call StatCast. And this collects all the information in a baseball game. And some of the things they collect is, for instance, when a hitter hits, uh, the exit velocity off, a, off from, from the bat to the ball. And you say, well, why is that important? Because quite frankly, the best hitters in baseball hit the ball more consistently harder than the other guys. Uh, launch angle, uh, spin rate on a baseball. These are all things that actually lead to uh, judging player performance. How many times is the ball, uh, you know, how many revolutions is the ball when it leaves the pitcher's hands? Some are better than others. This is a skill that helps you again what you're ultimately trying to get is trying to predict the future performance of that player and, and ultimately get the best value on the money you're spending. Uh, and again, right now what's gone on is that uh, the capture of data and the information you can collect because of technology seems almost limitless, some of the stuff that we're doing. Uh, and and, and, and the, I, the thing that also helped us here in Oakland is we're sort of at the center of, of the technology revolution because Silicon Valley is literally right down the street for us. So we were in an environment that sort of encouraged this type of, uh, uh, this, this change and this innovation. Not, you know, obviously it happens in Silicon Valley, which is changing the world. Uh, and from our standpoint, we had, you know, being in that, uh, uh, the proximity to Silicon Valley sort of, again, uh, got us going. And we had access to technology too that other people didn't have to have. And, and we understood also, I say we, we, I remember back in uh, the early 2000s, we, we ultimately created our own proprietary analytics by the, uh, collecting the data ourselves. And, and then in turn, what I did was hire really, really smart people to make sense and you know, create, again, our own proprietary uh, analytics. And, uh, and that's what all teams actually did. But again, the only thing that limits us right now is the more data we get, the, the more I figure the smart guys I hire, the more they can do with it. And again, all we're trying to do is predict an athlete's performance. That's what we're trying to do. And, and the next revolution, I think, through this data uh, will, be, will be health, centered around health and uh, athletes. That's, one, that's probably, in fact, if you think about it from a corporate wellness standpoint, too, that's also an issue you know, around the world, not just in, in sports, keeping your players and athletes on the field, but also keeping your employees healthy and, and things like that. In fact, I think baseball has become such an intelligent industry that in an effort to sort of solve very small problems that we have, that you'll be able to scale it outside of baseball and do something that's, uh, that has a huge impact uh, for everybody, even outside of sport. 
So it's almost like we're saying when we, we talk about engineering or manufacturing and we talk about predictive maintenance on components in that supply chain, it's almost exactly the same with the health of the machinery and the baseball organization, predicting when you know a pitcher is going to have fatigue or, or go down with an injury and trying to remediate against that, right? Yes, and you see it a lot, particularly uh, a sport like uh, soccer, football, European football, uh, where they're doing player loading, where they're trying to adjust the, uh, you know, over the course of a season, uh, how many minutes they play, when they play it, is in an effort not to fatigue and ultimately to, to injury. And because, listen, uh, uh, an athlete, just like, you know, just like an employee, if, if, he's, if he's not on the field or he's not working, it's hard to be productive. And uh, you certainly want your best players in the field so that you can be successful. And again, the, the person in sport, that sort of solve, I wouldn't say solves, but improves upon uh, the health of, of athletes is gonna have a massive advantage. And again, that's gonna be solved through data in my, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on this idea of marginal value? I mean, how long does any analytics advantage actually last for in practice? And you know, without giving away any trade secrets, what keeps uh, your team awake at night after the games? Well, you know, you talk about, and, and listen, like in any business, we all ultimately are copycats. And, uh, and we need to be, it, you know, just to sort of bury your head in the sand and say, I don't believe in that. When it works, it's just foolish. You know, you mentioned an organization that I consider, uh, you know, one of the smartest businesses in the world is the Tampa Bay Rays. And you mentioned uh, pitch framing. They were actually, you know, we, we, that was one where we completely missed the boat early on with the whole pitch frame. And the Rays were so far ahead of everybody else. They were really the ones who first started calculating the impact of a catcher who's able to sort of uh, manipulate the strike zone, you know, and turn, you know, one, one count into a one, two count instead of two, one count. Again, it's all about a probability play. And you're talking about the shifts. What I find really interesting about shifts is that for, almost 160, 70 years, we could have shifted defensively. And until the last five or six years, we didn't. And what happens is you had a lot of smart people who came into the game and said, this is really a, a inefficient way to position your defense. That based on our data, uh, this hitter should have, you know, these, hitter, these, these players should be here. But what's interesting too about shifts, when you watch a baseball game as a fan, you'll see the entire defense shifted over to one side and you, and you just say, well, why doesn't he just hit it over here? Or why doesn't he just do this? The fact is they don't. And the reason that shift works is because it's a probability play. And what's interesting too is the critics who don't like the shift, who, like, as you mentioned, you know, player who says, oh, I don't like this. The one time it doesn't work and the one time they hit the ball to a traditional spot on the field where the player would be, that's when they say, I told you that doesn't work. And they ignore the other 100 events where it did work. And again, that's, that, that attitude is one to be exploited. And listen, you can't argue with the fact that I think since the Rays, who were the first ones to employ that, uh, they've arguably had the best pitching staff in all of baseball with one of the lowest payrolls. So that's the most expensive, come on, you know, pitchers are the most expensive position on, on the field. They have one of the lowest payrolls, but yet they have the best. That'll tell you how their data and their, and the, and their, their information-based decision-making process has benefited them. And listen, the longer you're a traditionalist uh, and you ignore that, the, long, you know, the further you're gonna far, uh, fall behind. Let's finish off our conversation now around data, process, and people. I'd love to talk to you about the people and the culture that you've developed in the clubhouse and in the front office more generally. 
Now, you once said in an interview, I think it was with the Sporting News, that in your 20 plus years as an exec, you know, the biggest change you've observed is more than anything, you now work in an industry with the best, the brightest in the world of data. You've said it in today's conversation as well. You've also mentioned, and I think this was from Forbes, um, as a great example of why data science and analytics can't just be the sole responsibility of traditional data scientists. So what's making those coming into the front office now smarter? Is it book smarts? Is it the sports experience? Is it the technology? Or is it this general willingness to learn, to use insights in different ways, or even to challenge the norms that you find in organizations? What drives the cultural change? Those really bright, passionate people in my industry have always been out there. I mean, again, but as an industry, we never let them in. Because, you know, again, the, the assumption, particularly in sports, that if you, played the, if you played the sport, you therefore should run the business. There's a, it's a two different skill sets, uh, it, you know, between being a great baseball player and being a great baseball executive. And so what has changed isn't necessarily the people, because those bright people are always out there, is that as an industry, we've allowed them, and again, I think that's the biggest impact the book has had, that we have turned the business of sport into a meritocracy for people who wanted to work in here. And if you think about it, go back to what you said, I, and I truly believe this, I believe that baseball is one of the smartest industries in the world, and I'll tell you why. The people that I'm trying to hire for the Oakland A's have this, I'm, I'm competing for the same skill sets that the biggest tech companies in the world are trying to uh, hire, uh, the biggest banks on Wall Street are trying to, I need the same skill sets, those two. I need what Goldman Sachs needs, and I need what Facebook or Google need. I need the same thing. I, and their resumes are very, very similar when they turn them into me. In fact, a lot of people, when they come to the Bay and they want to work for the A's, they're also applying to Facebook or they're applying to other bigger tech, Alteryx, you know, we're, all the big companies out there, right? The advantage I have is that most of these kids grew up in some way, shape, or form loving sports or liking sports, had never had an entry into it. And so when I go to hire these people and I'm competing against these huge, huge businesses, They'll usually say, you know what? I'd rather go work for my favorite sports team and I'll do it for less money. So you get the opportunity to have all this intellectual capital that has this amazing amount of passion that is now accepted in this industry. They never played maybe, they grew up following the sport, but there's very few people can play at the highest ends uh, athletically. And if you eliminate all those people who didn't play at the highest level, you're really dealing from a very small group of people that you can hire if they just played and you're limiting yourself. And so I think what's changed is the bright people have always been out there and wanted to work in sport, now, we're, now they are. And that to me is the impact of the book. And that's why I think we're one of the smartest industries in the world. They will come work for me before they go work for the biggest companies in the world because they have a passion and they want to be a part of sports. And that's, that's, a, that's what's changed dramatically over the last decade. Now a question um, really for our audience in Europe. Um, with Liverpool running absolutely rampant in the Premier League last year, a real attention to sports analytics under Jurgen Klopp and the Fenway Sports Group, are we gonna see a similar moneyball culture and attention to data and process and people in the world of football or soccer? I hope so, I hope I get to be a part of it because I'm a huge fan and uh, uh, it looks like Liverpool's gonna do the same thing again this year. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, listen, I'm a little partial to the way they, I mean, I'm quite familiar with their ownership group and the Red Sox, a very incredibly smart ownership group. And, and again, you mentioned, you know, there's very few teams, I think, uh, you know, ironically, Liverpool 
everyone knows about that, but there's a tiny little club in West London called Brentford doing the same thing. And, and ironically, the owner of that club is a, he, he started out in gambling where profitability was important for his business to, to succeed in his business. And listen, the genie is out of the bottle. It's not a matter of if or, or when, or if it's a matter of when. And uh, as you see somebody, a club like Liverpool at the top of the food chain making the decisions that they're making uh, and having the success, it's gonna force everybody else to change because when you do things that efficiently, you have to spend less to do it. It puts more pressure on, on the people around you. And that's really what happened in baseball. I didn't, we changed in a, the game in a lot of ways, but the, when the, the real takeoff happened, when the Red Sox and Theo Epstein started doing a, having a similar process with a lot of capital, that forced other teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and bigger clubs to change the way they did business because they were directly competed. When you know, it, Each year, the Yankees had to spend more and more money to uh, keep up with the Red Sox. And then they dramatically, the Yankees dramatically changed the way they did business just to keep up with the Red Sox. And so when somebody like a Liverpool, a big club, that's when you're really gonna start to see the change. The small clubs can kind of operate in that space and it doesn't really impact everybody. But when the big clubs do it, and I think that uh, this is just the start of it. Listen, we all have access to data and information in today's world and it'd be foolish not to take advantage of it. Fantastic, well this has been a great session. I wanna extend a huge thank you to Billy Bean for joining me today to discuss his perspectives on data and analytic culture and practice. Billy, all the best for the postseason. Hopefully by the time this airs, you'll be lifting that great commissioner's trophy. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening. Visit us at alltricks.com to learn more about analytics process automation, download your free trial, and to keep up with the latest and greatest Alltrix news and events. Catch you next time.